Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is afraid to talk about. The Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is exit, pardon me, this is episode 168 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. How much voter fraud is going on in Arkansas? Was a primary election just stolen from a conservative Republican running for the state legislature? Coming up, a candidate who claims exactly that, or at least has serious concerns about that possibility, and her attorney. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen, so this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. So I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome uh, Jody Harris, candidate for the uh, State House in Arkansas, and also her attorney, Clint Lancaster, who has uh, a lot of experience with election integrity issues and who uh, worked for Donald Trump uh, after the 2020 election on election integrity issues up in the state of Wisconsin. How y'all doing this morning? Good. Very Thanks good. For us. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, Attorney Lancaster is on the line with us, too. So, uh, Jody, I guess, first of all, if you could tell people what district... You were running for the state legislature in, and, and what area of, of the state that is, and sure. and what uh, led you to the decision to run for the state legislature? And so the the house district that I was running in was um, District Twenty Five, which is um, Southern Washington County and a part of Crawford County and a little bit of Franklin County. So it runs from the Sonora and Hinesville area down through Elkins and Winslow and uh, Chester and Mountainburg and Mulberry. Okay, so it picks up a little bit of Goshen as well. Kind of northwest Arkansas, but but not extreme northwest Arkansas. I would I would describe it as the rural the rural east side of Fayetteville on on south into Mulberry. And the reason why I decided to run in this house district is I really started paying closer attention to the way that our legislators voted in the last couple of years. Um, you know, as a mother of four kids in public school. I watched as we went through the the pains of trying to get our schools reopened after COVID hit and um, mask mandates and vax mandates. And I, as I was watching the way that these people voted, I thought they don't represent us. They don't, they don't vote like conservatives and somebody needs to, to challenge them to a primary. Yeah. They, they may have the name Republican by their name, but if they don't vote like conservatives, uh, we might, uh, Give them the dreaded moniker Rhino. Exactly. So there was a lot of redistricting going on, and um, I don't know if the person who used to represent your part of the state um, was term limited out or perhaps uh, retired. But but what it does look like to me is that it was an open seat, and you and one other people were running in in the Republican primary. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, the person the person who was in the seat decided not to run and, and recruited my opponent to run against me. 
Oh, wow. So the person who was in the seat was, was term limited or just decided not, not to run again? I think he, just, he he said that he felt like the district had gone too far north and yeah. uh, and just decided that you know he wasn't going to run and 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 sought out somebody to run against me. Gotcha. So you were the first declared candidate, and then the moderate or rhino wing of the party kind of said, "Oh, wait a minute, we can't let a conservative in. We got to get somebody else to run against her." That that's what happened. Yeah. Okay, so um, uh, you campaigned, uh, I guess your your opponent campaigned, and then what happened uh, on the primary day and evening, uh, Tuesday, May 24th? And, and we'll get to Attorney Clint Lancaster in here in a little bit, but wanted to kind of get okay. your, uh, uh, your account of what happened first. So on on election night, the polls um, closed and returns started coming in from both Washington and Franklin County. I think we saw the returns on Franklin County first. And um, anyway, um, when I at the end of the evening, it looked like I was ahead in the race. And um, I had kind of been warned by a couple of other people who had run in Crawford County previously, that it would be a good idea to have somebody in the room as a poll watcher. And so I had a designated poll watcher in the room. And one of the things that we found out later was that um, the absentee ballots were not counted until the end of the evening um, on the election returns. And there were several ballots that had to be remade. And overall, um, when I spoke with her at the end of the night, um, it was a very sloppy process. Wow. Um, and so and so the next day, I was down by six votes. It was just a very close election. And I know that both of us worked very hard, um, had a lot of support. And I decided that it would probably be best if we had a recount to really understand what happened on election night. <clears throat> Okay, um, let me let me bring in Attorney Clint Lancaster here uh, because you just used a, a term that's going to be foreign to probably a lot of our listeners and foreign to me. Uh, Attorney Lancaster, when we hear that some ballots had to be remade, what on earth does that mean? So what that means, Doc, and thank you for having me on the show, by the way, what that means is that the ballots were defective or damaged. So in Arkansas, we use an ESNS tabulator. Yeah. And so even absentee ballots, which are paper ballots that come in, have to run through that tabulator. Under our law, if those ballots cannot be scanned through the tabulator, the election commission can remake those ballots into duplicate ballots. And so the way that I believe it's supposed to work is you have three election commissioners. One is reading out the absentee ballot votes. The second is marking the new absentee ballot. And the third one is making sure that both of uh, one and two are doing it correctly. Okay. That's uh, not what we had in Crawford County. And then what we, what we did have was they had duplicate ballots that were remade. They were not marked as duplicates as required by law, and the spoiled or canceled ballots were not marked as canceled. So wow. that's what Miss um, Harris is referring to. Okay, now let me ask you about that because I voted in Little Rock, and 
I always heard people say, now make sure you check, make sure that um, your vote gets uh, tallied the way you want it to, to be, you know, because uh, people who would vote on computer screens sometimes would say, well, I try to vote for this one, but I switched my vote to that one. But I was marking a paper ballot, not a computer screen, just filling in these little circles for who I wanted to vote for. And then it went into a machine, and I said, well, how do I check to make sure the machine, um, you know, gives the candidates that I want? And they're like, uh, well, there's no way to do it. So yeah. <laughs> just just check back in after 7.30 after we close, and we'll have the, the total for the this precinct. I'm like, oh, man, that's messed up. So it sounds like it was the same situation in the district that Jody Harris was, was running in. So what I don't understand, because it's fairly simple, regardless of what the ESNS uh, reader does, it's fairly simple to say, okay, I'm going to fill in this circle on this race, that circle on that race. I want this person over here in this race. What I don't understand, because we're not talking hanging chads like uh, Bush versus Gore in, in, in southern Florida back in 2000, how can you goof up a paper ballot to the extent that it's spoiled and that, and that uh, ES&S reader won't read it? I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Well, the way that happened in Crawford County, so there's two ways that that happened. Okay. Okay, number one, you got absentee ballots that you're folding and you're going through the U.S. mail, so sometimes they come in with creases oh. or they get chomped or wet or something, and so the, the tabulator won't read those. Okay. But what we had happen in Crawford County was the Crawford County Election Commission uh, made, they sent out some of the wrong ballots. And the wrong ballots, meaning the barcodes were not programmed on the ballots to be properly tabulated for the races. And so when they caught that error, they stopped sending out those ballots and started sending out the correct ballots. But that did leave a number of absentee ballots that could not be scanned by the tabulator. Oh, good grief. You know, I'm reminded, if I may use a, uh, a sports analogy, I'm reminded of the NFL game between the New Jersey Jets and the uh, New England Patriots uh, Thanksgiving of 2012, in which the Jets quarterback, Sanchez, um, uh, conducted three turnovers in less than a minute, and none of which involved an interception. He was literally creating new ways to turn the ball over. I mean, uh, with, with Crawford County making such glaring errors. I mean, this ought to be a fairly straightforward and simple process. How do they come up with new ways to goof it up? Well, Doc, you know, my theory on this is is that you rarely ever see an election administrator who says, yeah, of course I, I added absentee ballots to help Biden win. Duh. You know, you don't hear that. What you hear is, oh, I am so, I made a mistake. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. This is all an error. Trust my integrity. I know I'm on the election commission, and I just made mistakes. Well, you know, people people should be choosing Jody Harris as their candidate and not relying on the word of one or two individuals who say, 
it was all done right. Trust me, I'm an election commissioner. Yeah, in other words, we made a couple of mistakes, but there was no funny business going on, and, and you can trust me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, um, so Jody, uh, what what is your take on what actually happened um, e- e- election night, the, the night of the the, the primary, um, Tuesday, May twenty fourth? I think I think a lot of mistakes were made. I think a lot of processes and election laws were not followed. And so it begs the question that was this a fair election? So when we went through the recount process, my husband and I showed up in Crawford County on the morning, the Saturday morning following the election for a recount. And one of the things, well, the first things that I asked Bill Coleman, the election commissioner, was I would like to see the original absentee ballots. And he looked at me square in the face and said, well, I don't, they're not here. And I said, well, where are they? And he answered that they were at his home. And I almost fell out of my chair. I looked at my husband and I said, there is no way that there's this is going to be a fair process. There's no reason why this guy should have any ballots at his home. You know, and the excuse was made that like, oh, shucks, I forgot. We were in the process of moving election commission offices. And with a guy who's the brother of a sitting representative, who recruited and helped finance my opponent, you know, everything should have been above board. And there was nothing about this that felt right. And so I asked that they stop the process. And they told me that day that we they couldn't stop the recount process. I would have to get a court order. So, of course, it's Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. So I stepped out of the room and had some help getting in touch with the Secretary of State's office so we could get the recount stopped because I knew it wasn't going to be fair. Yeah. And so we did, We did. Uh, Bill Coleman actually left, went to his home to pick up the ballots. We got the, the process stopped, and it was going to be continued under the supervision of the State Board of Elections, and also um, someone from the Secretary of State's mm-hmm. office was going to show up the following week when they recounted to supervise. And... Um, it, at that time, we just decided to leave because we didn't want to be talked into continuing an unfair recount. Okay. Uh, Attorney Clint Lancaster on with uh, legislative candidate Jody Harris. Uh, Attorney Lancaster, um, here's one of my concerns. You got Bill Coleman, one of the three election commissioners, if I understand correctly, for Crawford County, the guy who said, oops, I goofed. The absentee ballots are actually at my home. But his brother is Bruce Coleman, the incumbent state legislator for that part of the state who talked Jody Harris's opponent into running. Um, there seems to be a, a, at least the appearance of a conflict of interest here. Uh, shouldn't uh, Bill Coleman, um, election commissioner, have, have somehow recused in, in this race? Well, first off, it gets a little bit deeper than that. The second Republican election commissioner up uh, on that on that commission is Bruce Coleman's son-in-law. Oh boy! Okay, so it, yeah, <laughs> the family ties run deep. They do, they do, and you know, I, I I don't know if Jody mentioned, but we believe that Bruce and Bill Coleman were seen speaking to each other between ten and ten thirty on election night, and that. They uh, they were talking to each other, and then Jody Harris was winning at that point, 
And then after that, at around 11-something, Bruce Coleman, I'm sorry, Bill Coleman found some extra additional absentee ballots that hadn't been counted. That sounds kind of convenient. Yes, and I did ask Bill uh, Bill Coleman if he thought he should recuse. He and Mike Moxley both said no. They did not think that they should have to recuse in this situation. Well, in in the absentee ballots that they found at the end of the night, our poll watcher who was there um, insisted that they count them. I mean, they should have been counted before they even started counting the election day ballots. And they they weren't even to count them. They were going to do it later. And you can't legally, you can't do that. Wow. Okay. So in this case, who has the legal authority to overrule them? Um, the, The Secretary of State's office? No, at this point, the uh, only only entity that can overrule, and I guess really what we're going to be asking to do is to uh, decertify the election yeah. and set it aside. And that's challenged. Once the vote is certified, only a court can do that. Okay, right. So I get that, that that's where we are now. But say on election night when they're like, no, we're not going to count the absentee ballots until everything else, which is – to my understanding, illegal. At that point, if you can contact the Secretary of State late on the evening of the primary, can he say, well, you'd better? No, at that point, really the entity that would have the most influence would be the State Board of Election Commissions. But at that point, on election night, you know, the, the legislature empowers the CBEC, the County Board of Election Commissioners, with a lot of power and oversight to conduct elections. Yeah. And so there's nothing you can do to stop them uh, other than object. And, I mean, you know, I, I think what our poll, Ms. Harris's poll watcher was really getting at was, you know, you danger can't hang on to these ballots till tomorrow and figure out how many you actually need before you, before you count them. So um, they should not have been counted, period. And apparently their response was, well, watch us. <laughs> We'll do it. I mean, if I understand correctly what happened. Yeah, they they counted them anyways. But, you know, we have no way, even in the recount, we have no authority to stop them from counting that. There's nothing that we can do except um, take our grievances up to a higher authority. Yeah, at, at this point, uh, um, to, to, the, uh, to, to a court. So... Um, how much time do you guys have, Attorney Lancaster, to decide whether uh, you're going to litigate this in, in a court? Well, there's 20 days to uh, file your uh, your election contest complaint, and uh, I've been in discussions with Ms. Harris about that, and we are actively working on that issue. Wow. Um, so you guys are deliberating what, where, where you're going to go from here. Uh Jody Harris, uh, your, your thoughts at this point? I mean, at this point, I feel like as a candidate and the voters of Crawford County are owed a fair election result. And there is no way to determine that based on the sloppy work of the election commission and the things that transpired from election day, even through the recount. And so I've, I've taken it upon myself to to finance hiring an attorney who has election law knowledge to see this through so that we, we, we can get a fair result. Yeah. And not only the voters of Crawford County, but 
since you're talking about a district that has some of Crawford, some of Franklin, some of Washington County, um, what happened with the Crawford County Election Commission uh, affects you know the voters in 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 the district in all three counties, and, and frankly, um, to a larger extent, um, the whole state. Because you know how many times are there votes uh, in the state legislature? which are very close, uh, including votes to get something out of a committee to the floor of the House. And sometimes there's, uh, you know, a vote in a committee, which, uh, you know, is th- th- there's only one vote that keeps something from going to the floor for a, for a vote. We see that happen in the state House. We see that happen in the state Senate. So this, I think, has broader implications for, for the whole state. You're absolutely right, and it, it throws a lot of shadows over the election process, and it, it destroys voter confidence. That you know, am I as my voice going to be heard when I go to the polls? I mean, we're we're pending, you know, going into another special election for runoffs, and I think that this has done a lot to destroy voter confidence in our election process. I will say, after witnessing the recounts in the other two counties, um, Washington County is by by far one of the the best run experiences. Everything was very organized, um, labeled well. I mean, there was just, there was no question as to whether or not uh, the numbers were right. Everything was above board and, you know, the, just the process that I, we witnessed in that recount, I was very impressed and felt like, you know, that was something that should be duplicated across every county in Arkansas. Yeah. So, so they had an, an exemplary uh, kind of, um, way of going about things in, in Washington County to, to the best of your knowledge. Yes. Okay. Um, Attorney Lancaster, uh, a couple of questions for you. Um, Colonel Conrad Reynolds, who uh, was challenging incumbent U.S. Representative French Hill for the second district, um, uh, U.S. House, basically mostly central Arkansas, has said that, oddly enough, to his way of looking at things, there are about 100,000 more voters in this primary than one would have expected, about 25,000 per congressional district. Uh, Jan Morgan, who was challenging U.S. Senator John Bozeman for the Republican primary, uh, to, uh, you know, to, you know for, for U.S. Senate for another six years uh, for, for his seat, uh, said that, the Federal Election Commission and the FBI uh, are investigating a number of counties in this state because the FEC has received hundreds of complaints. Are you aware of an FEC slash FBI investigation of uh, potential voter fraud in Arkansas in the May 24th primary? And if so, do you have any uh, reflections on that? I don't have any confirmation that there is an FEC or FBI investigation. I have spoken to numerous people who have got continuing concerns about election integrity, not just across the United States, but in Arkansas. And so I I don't know anything for sure, but my thought process on it is I feel like they should. I wish they would. I mean, it would be really nice to have credible investigators looking at this issue. And I'm not talking about 
the ones where they limit or hamstring the investigation, maybe kill its assets or, you know, close the office down or change its, uh, its directions to not do more investigations while saying, look, we investigated and everything is okay. We found nothing. Well, of course you found nothing. You took out all the light bulbs. You're not going to see anything. Yeah. And so, you know, I would like to see a credible investigation. I, I do not, I join Ms. Harris. I do not believe that the Crawford County election or the primary election was fair, was accurate, or it was even, you know, it even had integrity. Just there are a number of things that went wrong, and it doesn't just involve counting absentee ballots late and not storing absentee ballots properly. There's, there's quite a bit of, um, systemic dysfunction in the Crawford County uh, Election Commission that really questions, causes, should cause anybody to question the results. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, speaking of which, um, before we let you guys go, um, Jody Harris, uh, last Friday, uh, what was supposed to happen last Friday and what did happen? So last Friday was the day that Crawford County's election commission was set to certify the election. And so several disgusted supporters from the area, from District 25, came down to witness that process and have their voices be heard in a public forum. When um, Mr. Lancaster's office contacted the Crawford County clerk to find out what time and where the election would be certified, we were told it would be at 1.30 at the new election commission office in Van Buren. And when we showed up there, the election commission had certified the election at 1 o'clock. And it's my knowledge, um, Clint, I'll let you correct me if I'm wrong, but they never posted any public notice of of the meeting. And, and, and then we were given that information from the clerk's office. Yeah, I have still not got confirmation that they have done the public notice. And what we're talking about, Doc, is under the uh, Arkansas Freedom of Information Act, they have to give public notice of the dates and times of the uh, county election commission meetings and including the certification of the vote. And so that was the first question I asked Bill Coleman is, where's your public notice of this meeting? And he, he first took a long time answering and then he said well the county clerk would have it so i drove over to the van buren county clerk's office and talked to joe wester who's the uh uh, currently serving as the clerk and she says she doesn't do that for the election commission and so i can't find a single one the newspaper they referred us to can't find one so it doesn't look like again doesn't look like a transparent election or an election that was or, or a transparent election process. Okay, um, now that that brings up an interesting question, um, which is, if we have a state law that says, here's the way legally this has to be done, and the entity that is supposed to follow that state law does not comply with the state law, we come to the question, as an old friend and former attorney, a friend of mine, uh, Joe Churchwell, once said, what is the remedy? In other words, if the entity does, does not comply with the law, then is there any criminal penalty? And if there isn't, isn't the law merely a suggestion instead of an actual law? 
I mean, so yes, the remedy, there's not a criminal remedy that is within our power. There are criminal remedies for election fraud and things of that nature. I don't know that, you know, this type of actions are going to really chin that criminal bar because the standard of, of proof is so high beyond a reasonable doubt. However, Senator Kim Hammer uh, recently changed some election laws and bills he proposed that went past that gave the State Board of Election Commission some more teeth. And so Ms. Harris has filed a complaint with the State Board, and what the State Board can discipline the uh, election commissioners, including decertifying them as election officials, preventing them from working as election officials in the future, um, which we have asked that they do. And then we have also asked that the State Board of Election Commissions come in and administer the Crawford County election so these people in Crawford County can get a fair election for once in their life. Okay, so my question is, if the State Board of Election did move to decertify these election commissioners, uh, would that mean, well, you can't be on the election commission next time around, or would it actually be retroactive and affect uh, Jody Harris's race? Well, it wouldn't be retroactive. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jody. I wasn't saying anything. Go ahead. Oh. No, so the the retro effect, uh, retroactive effect is probably not going to happen because that would violate some due process rights, so yeah. it would be forward-looking. But the thing to really keep in mind is, you know, at the certification meeting, you know, and in the recounts, what you're doing is you're building your case for why the election commission should not vote to certify. Once they have voted to certify, the only thing that can affect that certification is a court ruling or if it is the final like election for Senate and House, those chambers each would determine who are its members. But um, for right now, our next step is going to be a court because this was a partisan primary and there is an opponent in the general election. So that's going to fall to the circuit court, and the circuit court is the only entity that has the authority to decertify or revoke the results of that election. Wow. So you guys have, uh, is it 20 days out from May 24th or 20 days out from last Friday to decide if you're going to sue? It's 20 days from certification. So that would be Friday. They don't count but Friday. So Saturday was day one. And um, but we're not going to if we're going to move on this, it's not going to be at the last minute unless something seriously changes in strategy. Gotcha. 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 Wow. Well, it, it's very concerning uh, and, and not just for people from uh, District 25, but it should be very concerning for, for the whole state. Um, and uh, I, I'm sure you're getting a lot of support. Uh, if people want to keep up with what's going on, uh, w- would the best way be to follow Jody Harris's Facebook page for, for updates? I think just following my campaign page and, um, you know, we've, one of the questions that we get asked a lot is, you know, how can I help you? Um, and, and we have been posting about, you know, where we need help, where we need people to show up. So following that campaign page is a good, is a good place to start. And um, some, a few people have offered to contribute to the financial burden of pursuing this legally, and they can still do that through um, my campaign uh, fundraising page, which is electjodyharris.net. Electjodyharris.net, and it's J-O-D-Y. 
Yes. Okay, I want to make sure on that because sometimes people spell it with an I, but it's J-O-D-Y. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of ways to spell Jody. Yeah. Um, so uh, Attorney Clint Lank- Lancaster, Jody Harris's uh, uh, attorney in, in this situation, uh, you would expect if you go forward um, possibly announcing something before the end of this week? I think so. That's uh, there are a few more conversations Miss Harris and I have to have, and uh, I had to I had to go across the state for court this morning, so I haven't had a chance to wrap up all the details I'm working on. Though I expect that will be later this afternoon or early tomorrow. At which point, Miss Harris and I will discuss the next steps. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Uh, Jody Harris, do you have any uh, any uh, final thoughts you want to share? with our audience before we wrap up here. I think the thing that I'd like to leave your listeners with is I got into this race to fight for what's right in Arkansas and to represent my district. And I think if I'm going to hold true to that, um, I'm going to continue to fight for fairness in this election. So uh, I appreciate all the support that we've had and the people who have come alongside, uh, come alongside me and to, to continue to seek out transparency and truth in this, election attorney lancaster any final thoughts from you sir no i just ask that people your listeners continue to support jody harris this fight's not over and uh, i applaud her for having the courage to stand up and continue the fight absolutely so uh jody harris give us that uh, give us that that website for your for your campaign one more time because I assure you there are people listening in on the live stream, and we have a lot more people who listen after the fact of the uh, uh, the podcast who are going to be wanting to, to, to follow this closely. Um, it's electjodyharris.net, and that's Jody with a Y. Electjodyharris.net. Electjodyharris.net, and if I may throw in parenthetically uh, an editorial comment here, I think it's important that we do whatever we can to make sure people are elected as opposed to selected, if you catch my drift. I, I agree. All right, Jody Harris, uh, candidate for um, State House District 25 uh, with portions of Washington, Franklin, and Crawford County, and Attorney Clint Lancaster representing her. Uh, we appreciate both of you guys for coming on the Doc Washburn Show today. Uh, and keep us updated, and anytime you want to come back on and give us an update on where things are going, uh, please let us know, and we'll get you back on. Thank you. All right, thank you for having us, Doc. All right, thanks. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you very much. All right, so so there it is. There it is. And uh, one of my commenters on the Podbean app as we uh, roll along here, my good buddy uh, Carl Mo Watson from Jefferson County says, the more I read and hear about this primary in Crawford County, the more I can hear Waylon in my head singing just some good old boys, never meaning no harm. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's another comment here. Clean up Arkansas election process. Wow. My goodness. All right, um, as always, before we uh, continue with more of the program here, 
we appreciate so much our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do five days a week. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. We talk a lot about pushing back against the overreach of the federal government. What better example would there be than Obamacare? Are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high copays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of these questions... You need to go to a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you click on MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you see the big, bold letters, Affordable Plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. And then that big, beautiful red button that says Schedule Call Now. You click on the red button. You book a free consultation with my friend, Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage, and he also makes sure that your personalized health coverage gives you a plan that doesn't force you to cover things like abortion, horrible things which would deeply offend your deeply held religious beliefs. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. Click the big red button, schedule a call now, book a free consultation with Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood... He focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401K or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. 
He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. All right, once again, thank you so much to our advertisers, uh, Jonathan Presswood and Edward Jones, uh, Art Wilborn, MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, and, of course, my good buddy uh, Mitch Ward over at Red River Your Way. We appreciate you guys so much. Uh, for allowing us to do what we do. Now, there is so much to talk about today. However, I can't think of much more important than this. Rolling summer blackouts expected across the United States. Have you heard about this anywhere? Now, if you get your, uh, your news from television stations, probably not. If you get your news from your uh, major daily newspaper, probably not. Charlotte Pence Bond over the Daily Wire has it. The U.S. electric grid continues to be a major point of concern. A recent study warns that two-thirds of the U.S. is at risk for electricity blackouts this summer. Brianne Depish, energy and environment reporter of the Washington Examiner, told the Daily Wire, overall, the biggest thing is that is the loss of nuclear and coal plants that those provide the U.S. with what's so-called as baseload power, which means that when the sun isn't shining or there's a drought, we still have a supply of power in the U.S., this could have sensibly been replaced by natural gas. We just don't have enough of that in the U.S. right now. Really? So the North American Electric Reliability Corporation put out, put out its most recent reliability assessment for this summer. It turns out that more states are at risk of rolling blackouts than was previously thought. Again, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, the NERC report, found that the Midwest and South are both at high risk for blackouts this summer, along with areas of the western U.S., including Texas, being at an elevated risk. Well, see, that that sounds concerning to me. That's not a good thing. By any stretch of the imagination. 
What are they going to do about it? Probably not much. A rolling blackout is a blackout done intentionally so that the grid isn't harmed in the long run. This happens when there's not enough power being created to meet the high demand. Rolling blackouts have happened in California for a few years now. In Texas, there was a historic freeze in the winter of 2021 where lots of people were without power. In Texas, ERCOT, which stands for the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, handles the state's entire power grid, which includes electricity generators. It's an independent nonprofit regulated by the Texas Public Utility Commission, whose board members were appointed by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. The generators sell power to electric providers who sell it to the consumer. ERCOT recently said the grid is stable and that it should be able to supply enough energy under normal system conditions and most times of high demand during the summer and some extreme weather conditions, but at the same time they did ask people to conserve power and told some of their energy generators to hold off on maintenance, which would require plants to go offline. The chairman of the Texas Public Utility Commission, Peter Lake, said during a press conference, this is part of ERCOT and the PUC being more proactive, more communicative with Texans to make sure that everybody knows the situation on the grid and what they can do to ensure reliability. He said, we got through last summer, we got through last winter, and we're going to get through this summer. We're better prepared than we have ever been before. That's how we can say with absolute confidence to Texans, the lights will stay on this summer. Daily Wire continues here. Above average temperatures are expected for much of the U.S. this summer, which puts stress on the grid. Plus, a 22-year drought in the West will cause hydro generators to release lower than average energy production. Wildfire season is expected in the late summer and will also contribute more to power issues. A lot of the problems have to do with environmental policies and priorities that don't always line up with the reality of the situation. You don't say! Some are calling for funding from the huge infrastructure package to go toward fixing the grid because energy isn't just an issue in the summer. This isn't a problem that's going away anytime soon. Well, so if you're a prepper to one extent or another, and and everything is on a spectrum, some people are a lot more prepared than others but don't consider themselves to be preppers because they're not as prepared as people they know who do consider themselves to be preppers. But anyway, if you're prepared to the extent that you have, say, a chest freezer full of frozen food, but you don't have a generator, and then your power goes out for a few hours, 12 hours, 24, 36, 48, two or three days, um, what's the plan? How do you keep from losing all that frozen food? You know, I'm old enough to remember a few summers ago in the pre-China virus era 
when there was a bad storm in the summertime. I remember our power going out where we live in Little Rock about 2.30 in the morning, I think. And when we woke up, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, it was already hot in our house. And I told my wife, we got to put some clothes on and get out of here and go to the closest grocery store and try to buy some dry ice. And she said, hmm, dry ice. Now, why? why uh, I said, well, we got stuff in the fridge and stuff in the freezer. We don't want going bad. and We don't know how long the power is going to be out. She said, oh, hey, great idea. I don't know why it occurred to me. I, I don't know if I'd ever bought dry ice before in my whole life. So we drove from where we live in the hood out to a, a large Kroger on Chennault Parkway, which for those outside Arkansas is a nice area of Little Rock. Well, the problem was the power was out in that area too, so the, the Kroger was not open. So we went to a Kroger on Cantrell, Highway 10, also a nice area of Little Rock. And as we asked the cashier, hey, where's your dry ice? She said, you see that fellow walking out the front door who just paid? Yeah. Uh, he's got a restaurant. He just bought the last of our dry ice. Oh, okay. So we drove to North Little Rock, to a large Kroger in North Little Rock, across the uh, river, where the power, you know, I don't think there were any power issues in North Little Rock, just in Little Rock. I think we bought the last of their dry ice. And so we got home, put some dry ice in the freezer, some dry ice in the fridge, had a little bit left over. Went next door to our neighbor, said, hey, you need some dry ice? He said, uh, what for? I said, well, you got stuff in your fridge, in your freezer, you don't want going bad. We don't know how long the power's going to be out, right? He's like, oh, golly, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for thinking of us. Sure. We had some left over. We just, you know, try to help look out for each other, you know. But um, so the power was out from about 2.30 in the morning on a Saturday morning several summers ago. I can't remember the summer of 2018 or 2019. Anyway, power goes out. Bad storms in the summertime. It gets real hot. About 2.30 on a Saturday morning, power doesn't come back on until early afternoon Sunday. So the power was out for almost 36 hours. And I remember trying to sleep in a hot house, getting up in the middle of the night on that Saturday night, Sunday morning, and the middle of the night, it only got down to 83 degrees in our home. I mean, at one point, trying to go out and turn the car on with the AC in the car, maybe sleep a little bit in the carport in the car. And that just, you know, a car, I mean, if you're going down the highway on a long road trip and one person is driving, the other person is in the passenger seat, you might be able to fall asleep. But a car is not really built for you to turn it on in the driver's seat and sit there in the carport and get a few hours of sleep. It just didn't work. So anyway, I say all that to say this. Um, 
since we are being warned to a certain extent that, yes, indeed, don't be surprised if they're rolling blackouts and the blackouts affect you wherever you are, because two-thirds of our audience is outside Arkansas. Our, our second uh, second state with most listeners is Texas. Uh, don't be surprised if it somehow affects you. Just a word to the wise. I, You know, when I did the radio talk show, and now doing the, the national podcast. Um, one of the things I've always been concerned about is warning you about stuff that may be on the horizon. I don't want anybody to ever say, well, Doc, why didn't you tell us? If you knew... Why didn't you warn us? So I try to. I try to get the word out on uh, on different things. Ryan King, breaking news reporter over at uh, Washington Examiner, has a story a judge in Arizona denied a request from Republicans to bar the state from using no-excuse mail-in voting in the midterm cycle. Republican plaintiffs argued the Arizona state constitution described voting as taking place at the polls, not via mail. But Mojave County Superior Judge Lee Jansen maintained nothing in the state constitution prohibited no-excuse mail-in voting, which allows voters to use an absentee ballot without giving a reason. That's just... Great. You know, one of the things I've said all along, in light of the fact that they stole the election in 2020, is that these swing states better change their laws to keep them from stealing it again in 2024. And um, I don't know if that's being done or being done enough. You know what I'm saying? I hope so. I remember back in the period of time between the November 2020 election and the January 20th, 2021 inauguration of Dementia Joe, when most of the Republicans in the U.S. Congress were not interested in looking into the evidence the election had been stolen. And I remember calling U.S. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas out on the air, saying, Tom, look, everybody believes you're interested in running for president next time around, but there's no point, bro. You let them steal this? Good luck ever seeing another Republican elected president in this country. Call them out on the air by name. I said, I know I'm burning bridges, but... There's some things more important than uh, maintaining access to a powerful United States senator, and that is speaking the truth. 
and we're called to speak the truth in love. That's what Scripture says. You know, I, I heard from somebody in Senator Cotton's office who didn't seem to be too pleased about me calling him out, but the truth's the truth. And uh, I certainly don't think I said anything hateful, but it is what it is. You know? It is what it is. All right, so. New York Post reports Hunter Biden shows himself to be a real uh, first son of a gun in the latest embarrassing personal video leak for Dementia Joe's scandal-scarred offspring. I will never call Dementia Joe president because they stole it. A naked Hunter Biden casually waves around a handgun and even points it at the camera while cavorting with a prostitute in a swank hotel room, according to video provided to the New York Post by the nonprofit Marco Polo Research Group. The cavalier clip of Hunter Biden holding the apparently illegally obtained weapon emerged amid the rash of mass shootings and random gun violence in major cities that included 11 incidents on Saturday and Sunday alone that left that left at least 15 people dead and 61 injured across the U.S. It also comes just days after his dad, Dementia Joe, called on Congress to pass new gun control measures to stem the slaughter declaring in a televised primetime event last week that the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican Wisconsin, slammed the apparent hypocrisy. Senator Johnson said before proposing or passing any new federal gun legislation, the Biden administration ought to enforce existing laws regardless of who is violating them even if that person is the president's son. Senator Johnson, who's been investigating the Biden family's controversial overseas business dealings, said, I've written oversight letters to the U.S. Secret Service, FBI, and ATF regarding the incident involving Hunter's gun dumped in a trash can behind a grocery store across from a high school in Delaware. Unsurprisingly, I've not gotten a satisfactory response from these agencies. Hunter Biden recorded the video October 17th, 2018, according to Radar Online, which first revealed its existence. That website and a Washington Post source described the companion in the video as a prostitute. Five days earlier, Hunter bought a 38 caliber handgun in Delaware, according to Politico, which reported that last year. In order to make the purchase, Hunter Biden answered no to a question that asked, Are you an unlawful user or addicted to marijuana or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance? That was reported by Politico, certainly not a right-wing news site last year. Hunter Biden has acknowledged repeated struggles with drug addiction and alcoholism, and Radar Online's report included a photo of what appeared to be crack cocaine and drug paraphernalia, including a spoon, on a pair of plates. Hunter Biden, whose addiction issues and cheating led to his 2017 divorce from Kathleen Buell, 
was discharged from the U.S. Navy Reserve three years earlier after testing positive for cocaine. Just weeks after Hunter Biden illegally bought the weapon, his girlfriend, Hallie Biden, the widow of his late brother, Bo Biden, tossed a gun into a garbage can outside a supermarket, setting off a Secret Service and FBI probe. No charges were ever filed. The place where the gun was dumped and went missing, Jansen's Market, Greenville, Delaware, where Dementia Joe Biden has a home in the upscale Wilmington suburb. It's across the street from Alexis I. DuPont High School, which has roughly 800 students. The Secret Service told the New York Post in March 2021 it had no record of agents investigating the incident and said Dementia Joe was not under protection at the time. Hunter Biden had been divorced from his first wife, Kathleen, and was at the time involved in a scandalous romantic relationship with his sister-in-law, Hallie, the widow of his brother, Beau, who had died of cancer. Hunter admitted in a text in 2019, first reported by the New York Post, quote, she stole the gun out of my trunk lock and threw it in a garbage can full to the top at Jansen's, then told me it was my problem to deal with. Then when the police, the FBI, and the Secret Service came on the scene, she said she took it from me because she was scared I would harm myself due to my drug and alcohol problem and our volatile relationship and that she was afraid for the kids, unquote. Oh, by the way, the January 2019 message adds, Really not joking, the cop kept me convinced that Hallie was implying she was scared of me. In another message sent closer to the incident, Hunter described the handgun as my thirty-eight. He wrote on December 6, 2018, took from lockbox of truck and put it in paper bag and threw it in trash can at local high-end grocer for no reason. And I freaked when I saw it was missing 10 minutes after she took it And when she went back to get it after I scared the blank out of her, it was gone, which led to state police investigation of me. True story. Oh, he likes to say true story like his dad does a lot. Meanwhile, an ongoing federal grand jury probe in Wilmington, Delaware, is reportedly focusing on possible tax fraud, money laundering, and violations of lobbying laws by Hunter Biden. The down market data dump is the latest embarrassment for Dementia Joe, courtesy of his son, who has been blasted by critics who insist his shady foreign business dealings have put U.S. national security at risk. Yes, they have, as a matter of fact. Democrat congressional candidate Max Rose told the New York Post last week, there's no doubt in my mind that what Hunter Biden did was wrong, being on the Ukrainian energy company Burisma board and engaging in whatever else he dealt with. Rose, a former congressman vying for a comeback in a Staten Island district against incumbent Republican congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, said the New York Post got a raw deal upon being censored by social media outlets after first reporting on the evidence of Hunter's abandoned laptop in October 2020. The New York Post first revealed emails from the laptop that detailed Hunter Biden's business dealings with Ukraine's Burisma Holdings, and Yi Ming, former chairman of the CEFC China Energy Conglomerate. 
Mainstream media at the time largely ignored the New York Post's October 2020 reports or suggested they were the product of Russian disinformation efforts ahead of the 2020 presidential election. But both the New York Times and the Washington Post later authenticated for some of the emails amid the grand, the federal grand jury probe in Delaware reporting reportedly eyeing possible tax fraud, money laundering, and violations of lobbying laws by Hunter Biden. Congressional Republicans, meanwhile, have vowed to launch five avenues of investigations next year if the GOP gains subpoena power by retaking the House in the upcoming November midterm elections. Atop the list of concerns for Republican congressmen is Hunter's controversial overseas business deals, some of which involved the state-controlled Bank of China, and other companies linked to the Chinese government, as well as their potential impact on national security. You know, they ought to be promising to dissolve the January 6th sham commission, and they ought to be promising to investigate people like Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell and Adam Schiff and Christopher Wray What happened on January 6th? They ought to be expressing their outrage for the persecution of hundreds of people who were at the Capitol on January 6th who didn't do any violence. They ought to be expressing their outrage that Dementia Joe's DOJ is persecuting people for simply being Trump supporters. But most of them are silent, aren't they? I say most of them are silent, aren't they? I'm reminded of the the great Vody Bauckham Jr., who oftentimes when he's preaching will say, Amen, somebody. Let me once again express how thankful we are to our advertisers. I want to mention a couple of them to you. They make it possible for us to do what we do. Like my friend Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Now, Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he has sure helped me out with the three automobile accidents I've been in since 2019. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who've been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton makes sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt of the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, if you're in Arkansas, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justamintonlaw.com today. And I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your 
blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. And thanks once again to our advertisers, Drs. J.R. and Tanya Crabtree at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. And Justin Minton, attorney of law. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you being our friends and helping us do what we do five days a week on The Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. Now, um, before we go any further, it's, uh, it's that time of the uh, the show. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the United States. Believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door wherever you live, anywhere in the 48 continental United States. Today's tweet of the day is from Bonchi over at Red State, who says, The way you know the January 6th committee doesn't have Jack is that you don't already know what they claim to have. That committee has been nothing but leaks but we are supposed to believe they somehow kept the bombshell secret. Yeah, I bet. That's your tweet of the day brought to you by Red River Your Way. All right, Julie Kelly, American Greatness. Her article entitled, What the January 6th Committee Hearings Won't Cover. Okay? And this just dropped yesterday. U.S. Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat, Maryland, promises that January 6th Select Committee hearings will tell a story that will blow the roof off the House. Representative Pete Aguilar, Democrat, California, insists the committee's job is to tell the truth. Turncoat Republican Representative Liz Cheney, Wyoming, 
claims her fellow committee members will be focused on facts, not rhetoric, and we will present those facts without exaggeration, no matter what criticism we face. Okay, so after a year of unrestrained investigation led by seasoned federal prosecutors who interrogated at least 1,000 witnesses and collected hundreds of thousands of documents, including records once considered privileged material, the committee will present its findings to the American people, beginning with a much-hyped primetime hearing Thursday night. Their bottom-line task is to convince the public that Trump led a coordinated, multi-step effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election, according to a committee tweet last week. All right? Now, to spark interest in the hearing, the committee has hired, at taxpayer expense, a veteran television producer to create a blockbuster investigative special featuring clips of the protest and witness interviews. Democrats hope chilling revelations about the four-hour disturbance at the Capitol more than 17 months ago will prevent an electoral bloodbath for the party this November. Collaboration between Congress and Joe Biden's Justice Department has resulted in contempt charges against Trump confidants Peter Navarro and Steve Bannon. Meanwhile, Biden's hand-picked U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia has criminally indicted more than 800 Americans for protesting Biden's election on January 6th. On the same day last week, FBI agents arrested Peter Navarro in public at a D.C. airport and arrested two men from Florida on charges of civil disorder and three misdemeanors related to the Capitol protests. Contrary to what Liz Cheney and her Trump-hating inquisitors say, the January 6th committee is far from a truth-finding mission. In fact, what the committee fails to address will speak more to its true motivations to drive a stake in the heart of a political movement that refuses to die and, in some regards, is stronger than ever, not prevent another so-called insurrection in the future, which is how the committee was sold to the country. While committee members attempt to criminalize complaints of a stolen presidential election and accusation the very same people once leveled regarding Donald Trump's win in 2016. Evidence key to providing a full, unvarnished account of what happened on January 6th is unlikely to be made available to the public. At the same time, already established aspects of that day will be ignored and falsehoods promoted as reality. For example, will the committee release 14,000 hours of surveillance video to show What happened inside and outside the Capitol building on January 6th? Biden's Justice Department quickly designated the footage as highly sensitive government material that remains under strict protective orders in court proceedings. Allowing the public to view most of the video is the best way to uncover the truth about what happened that day. Why continue to conceal it? If January 6th is comparable to 9-11 and other deadly terror attacks, as Biden and his apparatchiks insist, Liz Cheney and her colleagues should authorize the immediate and unedited release of all 
publicly funded security video. And what about the security video from January 5th? The day before. Will the committee explain why Capitol Police erased almost all the surveillance video from the day before the protest? Democrat lawmakers have accused Republicans of conducting reconnaissance tours in anticipation of the so-called insurrection, but all security video that could have proven that claim oddly has been purged from the Capitol Police video files. Tampering with evidence surrounding the crime of the century? Certainly this should shock the rule of law consciences of Cheney and company. Where are the internal investigative reports on police misconduct on January 6th? Will the committee make public the inquiry into the police killing of Ashley Babbitt? What about the three other fatalities that day? Democrats continually describe January 6th as a deadly insurrection, but the only people who died were Trump supporters. Will Representative Adam Kinsinger, Rhino, Illinois, who cried a testimony by police officers during last July's hearing, shed similar tears for four dead Americans whose deaths were wholly or partially a result of excessive force used on January 6th. The public has been told the death toll could have been much higher that day. Just imagine the bloodshed if two pipe bombs had exploded a few blocks from the Capitol building. To that end, will the committee finally identify the alleged pipe bomber responsible for planting explosives outside the headquarters of both the Democrat National Committee and Republican National Committee on the evening of January 5th. Reports of the bombs initiated panic on January 6th and prompted the evacuation of adjacent house buildings. Lawmakers and commentators immediately speculated the perpetrator was a Trump supporter. The FBI released grainy video of the suspect shortly after the Capitol protest and offered a hefty reward for his capture, but despite... The FBI's use of extensive tools, including geofence warrants, to track down Capitol protesters, the Bureau still hasn't been able to to identify the pipe bomber. Further, the FBI appears to have lost interest in the crime of planting pipe bombs in front of the DNC and the RNC, an inexplicable move since the Justice Department finally admitted in court filings last year that Senator Kamala Harris was inside the DNC building, not inside the Capitol building, as the government claimed in court documents for over a year when Capitol Police located the explosive. Surely the committee has a heightened interest in finding the man who could have killed a sitting U.S. senator and incoming vice president just hours before Congress certified her election, right? Right? Where's the final FBI report on that incident? Speaking of the FBI, will the committee disclose how many undercover agents and informants were in any way involved with January 6th? Reporting by the New York Times last year confirmed at least two informants infiltrated the Proud Boys months before and were among the first to breach the perimeter of the grounds. Court filings reveal... Undercover federal agents were stationed around the building before the chaos unfolded. Hundreds of elite FBI agents were summoned to Quantico the weekend before January 6th and deployed to downtown D.C. that morning. For what? A top FBI official refused to say whether FBI agents or informants provoked or engaged in violent behavior that day, as the recent trial of Michael Sussman again showed. 
A seamless relationship exists between Democrat Party interests and the nation's top law enforcement agency, so much so that the FBI has a workplace at Perkins Coy, the Democrats' powerhouse law firm. And will the committee finally give the long-awaited answer to the question, who is Ray Epps? Speculation that Ray Epps, seen on video numerous times directing people to go inside the building on January 6th, was a federal agent because he was removed from the FBI's most wanted list and faced no charges more than a year later, strangely prompted the committee to rush to Ray Epps' defense. Adam Kinzinger stated on Twitter that committee investigators had interviewed Ray Epps and a transcript would be released. That was five months ago. It's highly unlikely, of course, that the committee will address any of those matters during this week's hearing or in subsequent performances. Meanwhile, congenital liars such as Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat California, will perpetuate long-debunked narratives, including the number of police officers who died as a result of January 6th. The answer is none. Or the Trump loyalists brought firearms into the building. They didn't. A sham congressional committee working with a corrupt Justice Department boosted by a dishonest national media can only be expected to create political propaganda, not expose the truth. No matter how hard Liz Cheney pretends her vengeance mission is legitimate, most of the American public isn't buying what she's selling. We're not buying what she's selling. Speaking of Ray Epps, anybody remember him? Ray Epps? In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. We need, we need to go, I'll say it, we need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! I'm going to put it out there, I'm probably going to go to jail for Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. They knew he was a Fed. And indeed, he is a Fed. And the reason why 17 months after January 6, 2021, the guy has not been arrested. Just so you know. Just so you know. Hey, um, I'm familiar with a guy named John MacArthur. He's a pastor of a large church in Southern California that um, engaged in civil disobedience. Now, you may be saying civil disobedience. What, what do you mean? Well, when the governor of California and the mayor of Los Angeles ordered churches not to have Sunday worship services because of the Wu flu, the China virus, John MacArthur said, uh, no, no, we have to obey God, not man. We will continue to have Sunday worship services. and We will not require masks or socialist distancing. John MacArthur has some thoughts about what's going on in the United States of America. And I believe that it is my duty, my responsibility to share with you his viewpoint. And here he is. Look, 
What, what is going on in America is, is Romans chapter 1 is being played out. Romans 1, 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Okay, any country or any civilization ever held the truth, it would be us, Western civilization. We held the truth, the word of God, but we held it in unrighteousness, so the wrath of God has been revealed. This isn't um, eternal wrath, that's hell. This isn't eschatological wrath, that's the wrath described at the end of the age. This is the wrath that's described in Romans 1. What wrath is this? For those who hold the truth, but hold it in unrighteousness, that is, they abandon the truth that they have, there is a judgment that has three steps. God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. That defines what that wrath is. First, he gave them over to his sexual perversion. He gave them over to adultery, fornication of all kinds. So when God turns a culture over, when God takes a culture that has had the truth and held the truth in unrighteousness, and God unleashes his wrath, the first thing you will see is a sexual revolution. That's what you will see. And that's what we saw back in the 80s and the 90s. The sexual revolution. And then it says, then God gave them over to homosexuality. Women with women. Men with men. And even receiving in their bodies the due reward of their iniquity, which would be AIDS and other venereal diseases. The sexual revolution in Romans 1, when God judges a nation, will be followed by a homosexual revolution. And we have been in that for the last 15, 20 years. So we are seeing in our country, in Western civilization, because we held the truth, but we held it in unrighteousness, because we knew God and rejected him as God, because we became wise in our own conceits, we have begun to experience the wrath of God. Um, the only, and it's a minor point, the, the only thing I would, uh, uh, differ with, uh, John MacArthur on there. I think the sexual revolution was in full swing in the sixties and seventies. Not sure why he said eighties and nineties. Um, but other than that, he seems to be spot on. I've been hearing people preach for almost 50 years that um, God will judge this country for all the bloodshed from Roe v. Wade, from abortion. What, 60 million dead babies? And I think a lot of Americans in the lead-up to the 2016 election viewed the possibility of a President Hillary Clinton with great dread, and we prayed and beseeched the Lord for uh, his mercy and his grace, which we did not deserve, and uh, he spared us. He spared us. So instead of Hillary, we got Trump, and Trump did a lot of great things, but the Bible's very clear, very clear that Homosexual behavior is a sin, just like a lot of other sins. Now, unfortunately, President Trump 
uh, does not agree with that. June every year he would celebrate Pride Month. And that's, uh, that's, uh, that's unfortunate. But again, you know, we weren't voting for a, uh, a preacher, a pastor, a bishop. I get it. Anyway, I find it interesting that the Southern Baptist Convention, which is having some issues with allegations of sexual abuse, has hired an organization called Guidepost Solutions, which is very pro-LGBTQ. And that's, uh, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Anyway, what we try to do here each day, again, is to talk about what's going on in our country, in our society, that other talk shows are afraid to deal with. And that certainly cable news networks are afraid to deal with. I watched the, uh, my wife still likes to watch the five on Fox News, and I watched a little bit of that yesterday, and they were talking about the, uh, the drag queen show that went on Saturday in broad daylight at a gay club in Dallas, Texas, that parents were taking small children to. And how outrageous and absurd that was. And Bill Hemmer, Seemingly defended it. He was talking about where he grew up in Cincinnati. Every year there was uh, a deal that went on where uh, men dressed up as women and it was a fundraiser at, at like a softball field or something like that. And everybody took it as a joke. As if that in any way had anything to do with these drag queen people who hardly had any clothes on and five-year-olds were jamming dollar bills into their underwear at a gay club in Dallas, Texas over the weekend. You know? It's outrageous. Fox News. By the way, Brett Baer, Fox News, has this new uh, report out over at Fox Nation, which you have to subscribe to. After all these years, 50 years later, I'm going to give you the truth about what really happened in the Vietnam War. And so the question I ask is, how many years will they wait to tell us the truth about how the election was stolen in 2020, which they played along with? You, you, you can't just go on Fox News and say the election was stolen. It was kind of like when I was still doing talk radio for Cumulus Media, if we said the election was stolen, the, the word came down January 6, 2021. If we said stop the steal or election was stolen, we get fired. And I see the same thing play out on Fox News where they're not allowed to talk about the 2000 Mules movie, which proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that the election was stolen. Anyway, a lot going on, a lot to digest, a lot to talk about. And we plan to bring you more of it. On Wednesday, June 8th, with episode 169, but you've been listening to episode 168 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. 
Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, June 7th, 2022.